Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. guests with me today. Woo-hoo! Remember to lean towards the mic. Uh, I've got. Is that a warning? Or what, what are you going <laughs> to kick me off if I don't? Yeah, I'm going to slap you in the back of the head if you don't uh, do it right. Okay. Sharing a mic with Darren, that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah I've got. <laughs> today I've got Darren Herzig. Hi. And Ifka Van Berkler, both of whom you will remember from previous episodes. We're here today to talk about another classic of Dutch cinema. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. It's Flesh and Blood from 1985. And it is indeed a classic. It's great. We just watched it. It was very enjoyable. Uh, who wants to give us the capsule summary? I don't know how to give a capsule summary of this movie. It's a fairly linear plot. I mean, yeah, not much happens. What, like, boy ransacks city, boy gets loot stolen, then other boy meets bride-to-be, prince boy meets bride-to-be, then... Bride to be meets original boy, or gets kidnapped by original boy and his merry band of thieves who were screwed over by Prince Boy's father. Rapes her, but she likes it, but not really because she's only doing it to survive. She's then, very clever. Then boy and girl <laughs> ransack a castle and take it over, and then someone else continue. It's kind of the love triangle. I do, I do think that actually it is Jennifer Jason Lee's or Agnes's story, but she only comes in on like thirty minutes into it. Yeah, is it? Th- it's not that late. It's like, oh wait, it's it might late. be. It might yeah. be. Yeah, but essentially, this is Paul Verhoeven reacting to other movies about the medieval period. I think, where um, previously yeah. you'd seen a lot of sanitized versions of the Middle Ages on screen, or fantastical even. Yeah, the. And what I kept thinking of the whole time I was watching it, not because of a comedy element, but just because the only other movie I could think of up to that time, or one of the one of the only um, mainstream movies up to that time to have kind of taken the same approach to the Middle Ages was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm. You know, where it's like you have just like dirty people covered in shit. Yeah, and their and, like, teeth aren't clean. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's this other movie that I saw, uh, have seen, called Lancelot du Lac by Robert Bresson. Some of us can pronounce things well too, uh, and um, uh, or Robert Bresson, and for all you non-French speakers out there, Robert Bresson. Uh, it's it's Lancelot of the Lake, and it's the it's Lancelot. It's the story of Lancelot. However, um, it's really like when they fight, it's really awkward, and you can just hear metal clanging and clanging and clanging, and it's bloody. And then like when the people leave frame, it lingers on an empty frame for like thirty seconds, and you can hear that. <laughs> of the metal as they stomp off to like show the <laughs> realism of like how awful these like uh, shells were and then he doesn't even like care about the plot whatsoever it's like he just like you know the story of Arthur and Lancelot and he just skips whole chunks it's not even about that so it also has that gritty kind of like trying to take fan- a fantastical story not that flesh and blood is in any way um, uh, no, you made it real but like trying to make it like yeah. this is what the middle ages closer to what they may have actually been like yeah flesh and blood is is uh, fairly gritty. Yeah, he had um, made Spetters, was two movies before this, and that's also very brutal and, and real. 
uh, and it got terrible reviews in Holland, because specifically because of that. And then he made The Fourth Man, which is more poetic, artsy. So everybody's like, "Oh, it's so great that you're finally found your voice." And he's like, "Oh, just you wait." Is it a, is it a sequel to The Third Man? No, I wish. <laughs> Does it have a cuckoo? Harry Lime strikes back. <laughs> well, I read a story about when Paul Verhoeven first was brought on to do Basic Instinct. Mm. I think his first, the first thing he said after he read the script was, "How can we put more tits and cunts in this movie?" Wow. <laughs> so, uh, for a Joe Esterhaus script, he he had to add put more. Wow. Tits and cunts in the movie. So. Wow. You know, I th- like his his I guess he wants things to be more Just raw. More. <laughs> <laughs> but He's good with that. The funny thing about Flesh and Blood is that it came out the same year as Lady Hawk, which mm. also stars Rutger Hauer. I don't know what was shot first, though. I was trying to look that up as well. Yeah, so on the one hand, you have Rutger Hauer playing a noble knight with mm-hmm. a cause. With his beautiful bra- love, Isabeau, right? Yes. That's yes. She's a Isabeau, it's She says a billion times. And yeah. then he plays basically a the venal rapist looting bandit. Well, this is actually, the Paul Verhoeven and Rutger Hauer worked together a lot, and this is the movie that broke up their friendship. Really? Uh, and that had a lot to do with that, that uh, at least the story goes, that Rutger Hauer wanted to start, because he'd, he'd already been in Blade Runner, but he was the bad guy, and he wanted yeah. to start being, you know, the leading guy, like the good guy. Yes. And he gets cast into this, and Paul Verhoeven's whole thing was, I want everybody to be both good and bad. Like, it needs to be super ambiguous or, you know, more real characters. Yes. And so basically, on set, Rutger Howard would question everything. Like, he says, I was promised a better script. Uh, and then, you know, Paul Verhoeven would give him a note, and then he would start to challenge that note or start to discuss it. Mm. So stories from set is, because they'd also made, it was an international set. And they'd made the deal that everybody has to speak English in order to con- include each other. So half of the time on set, it was just Paul Verhoeven and Rutger Hauer yelling at each other in English in a bad accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it almost the movie did sound like it was post. There was a lot of post dubbing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there was. But even for even for Bruno Kirby from the boroughs of New York. Yeah, God, but he needed more. God dubbing. rest his soul. That actually that casting reminds me of the casting in uh, Last Temptation of Christ. Where you have all these New Yorkers playing Jesus and Jude, like Harvey yeah. Keitel is Well, this was just the money casting. Oh. It's just like where where do we you know where's the financing coming from and who yeah. can we cast out of that country? Well, tell us a little bit about our cast of characters because we've got we've got Rick or Howard. Oh, because because my capsule uh, description wasn't <laughs> precise enough. No, it's fine. No, but I'm we're kidding. Expanding on it. No, we, I'm kidding. We got an hour to fill, Darren. Come on, <laughs> at least let's, let's make it thirty minutes and just give people a Christmas present. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, you don't even believe in Christmas. No, I don't. But wait till you see Darren does Christmas. It'll open your eyes. Um, uh, uh, well, who's our... Where, where do you even start? Because... Well, who do we have a protagonist, really? I think it, it's Agnes. Um, others would just probably disagree with that, but she's the, the you know angelic virgin uh, raised by nuns who then becomes less innocent and starts to use her sexuality to gain power. Well, she's interesting because she's a... You know, you have your, your princess, quote-unquote, yep. but she's already very canny from the start because yeah. as soon as you see her, you know, she's trying to get her maid to tell her how to fuck, basically. And tells her maid to fuck. Oh, so by the way, and yeah. the maid was played by Nancy Cartwright from The Simpsons. Oh, who who does Bart Simpson's voice. Yes. Are you serious? I am serious. I looked it up. So that's Bart Simpson getting getting fucked getting on the railed. lawn? Yeah. And, and then, then uh, and wow. then getting killed. And then murdered. Well, it's interesting because I actually kind of think of it 
as three protagonists because the point of view shifts between Agnes, played by the the powdery Jennifer Jason Lee, a bleached Jennifer Jason <laughs> Lee, Mart the roguish Martin, played by Rutger Hauer or Rutger Hauer, <laughs> and um, and where did I get? Was I so off? Rutger Hauer <laughs> and um uh and. Whoever the fuck plays Steven. Steven. is an Australian actor. Prince Boy Steven. I, he looks actually familiar to me. Tom Burlinson. Okay, no. Who was also in... Let's see what the fuck this guy was in. Shrimp on the Barbie 2. He was in Man <laughs> from Snowy movie. River. Okay. Oh, he was in Farlap. Okay. You know, we keep we keep returning to Holland and Australia on the show. Because <laughs> all the greatest, all the great lost films are from either That's Holland true. or Australia. That is fucking true. <laughs> I hope I hope both countries realize that we're doing them a great service. But yeah, it is. I think you're right in that it is the love triangle of these two men fighting for this woman and this woman wanting that almost in a way. And uh, even in a way, Hawks Hawkswind Hawk Hawkman Hawk. Not Hawksmoor. Hawkwood. Hawkwood. He's uh, kind of a bit well, of a pro- like. The he- whole thing was the, the original story that that Verhoeven pitched was uh, Hawkwood versus Martin. So you have these two oh. friends that get pitched against each other. One of them is like tired of war and wants to settle down, and mm-hmm. then you know the Alfadini, whatever his name was, tells him you have to get Andolfini. the looter. Andolfini. You have to get him Arnolfini. out of the Arnolfini. Whatever. Gandolfini. <laughs> guys. AKA James Gandolfini. Pay attention. Not so played by him. He has to you know take the looters out of the city and then. And it becomes basically this whole fight between these two old friends that are pit, pit against each other. Oh. And Agnes was supposed to be a super small part. Um, but then the studio was like, we want a love interest. And that's how Agnes's part became much bigger. And then it became the love triangle, which so, Paul Verhoeven is still not happy with. So he was, was like, if you want a love interest, I'm not only going to give you one. Yeah, but I'll she's give just, you a love She's going to get raped by like <laughs> yeah. all the men in the cast. No, that's kind of what I like. That Instead of just throwing in a girl or giving her a bigger part, like, okay, here, now she has sex. He gives her a full-on arc. Like, I think yeah. she's almost oh, the most interesting character. She has a very fascinating yeah, arc. Yeah, because that was actually a case of studio interference leading to something good because her character is actually fucking interesting. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't think the studio the wanted specifically that character. Right. I don't think they were they knew what they were asking for. That's why Hawkwood still is on the verge of... He's not quite interesting enough. Yeah, he's enough, not quite. But you feel that there's something with him. Well, and that was, he's, he's interesting in the beginning because at one hand... You know, he, he, like, is doing this job, and then he, like, mistakenly almost splits a nun's skull open and makes her a, a, a seizure-laid uh, prone. And then she never comes back, which he is ma- too bad. And he, he, he basically makes her the perfect retarded bride. Yeah, he makes it, like, the per- yeah, he essentially, like, lobotomizes, pearls of Caroline Kennedy, lobotomizes her, makes her a acquiescent woman, you know. Does For those look, of you playing along at home, it was actually Rosemary Kennedy. Was it? Oh, was it? Yeah. Who did I say? Caroline Kennedy. <laughs> I wish it was. Well, no, I don't. Really? What? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The one they don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, so he's interesting there, and then he like seems like he gives up after that and, and lays down his arms. And he's Well, se- essentially the movie starts with, um, you have a band of rogues working for a lord. These are soldiers. They're means to an end. And once they get him the city back... And they yeah, get the they're loot promised that they all think the loot. That they're yeah. promised. He's like, no, like throw down your loot and throw down your weapons and get the fuck out. I mean, I feel like the only character who has the least of the of the main three is, is probably Steven because the only thing like bad that he really does is force Hawk Hawkwind. What's his name again? Hawkwood. Hawkman. Hawkwood. Hawkman. Hawkwood. Hawkwood. Hawkeye. Hawkwood. Hawkeye Pierce. Is is he forces Hawkwood out of his beautiful? Retarded wife bliss. Yes. Um, well, because the guy, um, you know, was was a a sellsword, and now he's like, 
I want to farm the land with my even with says, my lobotomized in, bride. During there the battle, he even says like, "I'm too getting too old for this shit." I mean, like, yes, yeah. thank <laughs> you. I mean, I feel like the one who's who's re- the worst of them all is is Arnolfini, Father Ar- Arnolfini, the, the father, because he promises them yeah. loot yes. in the very beginning of the movie and all this stuff just to get get what he wants. Because at least his son is int- into innovation and introduces yeah, no, a way that, to yeah, cure the plague. Well, yeah, because there's a there's a slight contrast between him and his son, because his son has been to university. Um, that's Stephen, um, and I thought that they were going to go in the direction like, oh, well, he's learned, so he's going to be useless or something like that. But no, he actually has to become like a commander and you know persuade all these people to fight for him so he can get his bride back. You have the two men are like the opposite of like the Martin is the. The passionate fighter rogue mm-hmm. who's very religious, and then you have Stephen, who's the scientist guy and also really romantic. Yes. So you kind of get the two different sides of, of well, what she has to choose between. Everybody with a, any kind of hell belief at some point gets completely changed. Like the the cardinal priest, it's true. Mm-hmm. he t- thinks because they because they are guided by the statue of Saint Martin that they find. Yeah, after Martin's stillborn son is born, and, and they go to they, into a barrel. they stuff the dead infant into a barrel and they go to bury it, but they dig up this statue of Saint Martin, and and they use the the, the direction that his sword is pointing to like point their way to yeah. where he's going. So he believes that this is science from God, and the end rejects that. the The surgeon scientist doctor, you know, believes that his way is right, and he finds out that there's a new way when he. Takes Stephen's advice. A hidden way. Or no, when when Hawkwind t- uh, lances his bubonic, <laughs> his bubo, and uh, and uh, and, and, cures and cures himself on the offhanded suggestion of Stephen's learned knowledge. And then Stephen, though his whole learned knowledge, all the superstition is nonsense, believes in the Mandrake. Yep. Mm-hmm. So everyone who believes anything, the only one who really seems to believe in any in nothing is Martin. In a no, way. because he he starts out with the before he goes into battle, he wants to be blessed as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And he wants to be this like lord and wear yeah. white. Yeah, but it's interesting because um, there's a lot made out of choice in this movie. It's a mm-hmm. put question which is constantly put to Agnes because you see her con- she's constantly weighing her options. Like you know, well. I'm going to pretend to be in love with Martin because that's advantageous to me right now. Yep. Even though, like, I'm in love with Steven. But you see her, like, I don't know, like, if Martin ever beats Steven, then I better throw in with Martin. Well, you know, she, she is very she, smart. She, she's and the- so, choice is kind of this recurring theme throughout the movie, you know, and it's like, oh, do you choose the learned or you, did you choose the warrior path? But then, you know, the movie just ends ambiguously because, like, yeah, Steven gets his bride back, but Martin, even though he should fucking be dead... You know, like, but all of them have like nine. The main characters have nine lives. Yeah, yeah. Because Martin is thrown down a well that has been riddled with bubonic plague infested dog meat. This movie, I swear, there are things like it's the fantastic. stuffing the baby, the dog with the plague that they cut up and launch into the castle to, tr- which is brilliant on Hawk, yeah. on Hawkwoods. <laughs> Uh, Early germ warfare. But what I was going to say about Agnes is she is the proto Cersei of Game of Thrones. Oh, she's, a, yeah. she's also by far the most selfish character in it because every yeah. choice she makes is for her. It's for her. But yeah. then shouldn't she be in a way? Because in no, a world great, where yeah. she's yeah. bred to be the servant of someone else, she chooses herself. No, and she's a very to be pragmatic woman because he all has the the women that that learn to use their sexuality. She to has their crispy curly blonde hair. She and is that the, that is, is also the, very important. The typical Paul Verhoeven mo- girl. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like um, I 
like Verhoeven gets branded as misogynist a lot, but I think it's a little more complicated than that because I think he, he's more feminist than misogynist. I actually do yeah, too. Because the, they use their depicts, sexuality. Yeah. Well, he depicts women who are kind of placed in a world where they don't have a choice. You know, because what else is Agnes? But then he do? gives them a choice. Yeah, they have agency. Yeah. Which is very. That's a very. And they're thing very well. On. Like they're quite well rounded. I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, she's great. That's what she I mean, she's look at Sharon great. Stone in Basic Instinct, even or Jean Triplehorn. Both of them are playing the man. The men are helpless. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The men are all getting played. It's the women who are, have the power. And in Showgirls, yes, she's, she's put in some difficult situations, but in the end, Nomi makes all her choices. Yep. No, she's, yeah, she's, she gets away yeah. clean. They she, always get uh, at the end. They always away. get the upper hand. Yeah. In fact, um, Verhoeven is a lot like. Lars von Trier, is, who's another director who often gets labeled as misogynist, where I really think that both of them just don't think very highly of men at all. Yeah, if anything, the men are not like... Well, Steven's kind of, Steven and Hawkwind are kind of okay. I love that band. Oh, Hawkwind. <laughs> Spirit of the age, you know what I'm saying? Um, no, and but, he always has men take their clothes off as well, and I think also in a way to make them more... more the character more vulnerable. Yes, there um, are there are wieners in this movie. There I are give wieners it, in I all his movies. I give it two eggplants out of five. Just not Rucker Howard's because he has a medieval g-string. He does. Yeah, which is like what is does, Ren- he get, does he get nude in his other movies? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but those are Dutch. Yeah, the fourth man movies. starts, I think, with a shot of uh, Jeroen Kribbe walking in into frame butt naked mm. front naked <laughs> front mm. naked as opposed to back naked <laughs> mm. but yeah so Paul Verhoeven feminist you heard it here first folks <laughs> he said in an interview that uh, looking back that Jennifer Jason Lee blew him away in the auditions but looking back he was wondering if she was too frail next to Rutger Hauer he's like looking back that maybe he should have cast someone slightly stronger but I kind of love I think her it frailty. works. I yeah. do too. Because that's what makes it so much more interesting yep. is that she seems frail and powdery and yeah. very virginal. But yet she, on a dime, yeah. like she's in the middle of she's getting rude. raped. Huh. for her, And that's sex for her first time. And in the middle of it, turns it on its head yep. and essentially like rapes him. Like yeah. reverses but the quoting rape. what she heard her maiden say yeah. earlier I mean, in she, the... I th- and I think it's that innocence, that seeming innocence that plays... In, in the favor of that casting. I, I actually think it's brilliant casting. He was, he was debating between Jennifer Jason Lee and Demi Moore, and mm. the studio wanted either Natasha Kinski or Rebecca de Mornay. Uh, hmm. And then Rebecca de Mornay said, I'll do it, but only if you cast her then-boyfriend Tom Cruise as Steven. Oh, my. And then Paul Cruise was like, I'm not couple casting. No. <laughs> <laughs> to be and honest... so Tom Cruise pouted, then went off and did Legend. And became a Scientologist. <laughs> well, he was already a Scientologist. But, um... <coughs> Of all those alternate choices for ladies, I think the only one that I could potentially see working might be Natasha Kinski, because she's... Because Demi Moore and Rebecca de Mornay are two... They're always portrayed in, like, powerful... In, like, yeah. I, don't I love that she starts so innocent, because you don't... What you're saying, you don't expect them. It I think telegraphs if you, yeah, it. Yeah, if you cast someone... Uh, I don't know if Demi Moore would have had the chops at this point, necessarily. No de Mornay might have been interesting, like, Nick, Natasha's... Kinski would have been good, I'm sure. I think she would have been interesting, because like, in but, Cat People, she's not like a vixen by, or a femme fatale. Yeah. It's the only movie I've seen her in, actually. Is she in Tess? Am I making that yes. up? Yes. Okay, she's With, Tess. Uh, yeah, she was a Polanski protege. Oh, so, a.k.a. he fucked her when she was 15 or 14 yeah, or 13? Yeah, I would imagine so. Mm. Um. <laughs> With Klaus Kinski in the room watching? Oh, Christ. Okay. <laughs> this is all alleged. 
Well, there's there there are stories about Klaus Kinski. Oh, there are. You can imagine. But um, but yeah, like Jennifer Jason Leigh is so good in this, though. I think so, and I think especially the the rape scene, because she's so so innocent, and and because she's not that strong of a physique, it makes it harsher. Yeah. Well, and also she has to use. She can't rely on a strong, you know, yeah. she has to rely on other things. Yep. Yeah. And she has to become strong real quick. Which I think is more, especially because if this is a woman being bred to marry a lord's son, you're going to have the frail, innocent dove, yeah. the chaste yeah. kind of thing. And, you know, I don't know, Demi Moore screams sexual harassment uh, to Michael Douglas. That's all it screams. <laughs> it screams, power 90s bitch. This was 10 years before that. I know. And she wouldn't have been ready. <laughs> What no. was she doing in '85? She was in that Master Ninja movie and one, yeah. and one Crazy Summer. She was doing, did, did they do yeah, but well, she's great in one. Crazy well, she was summer. part of the Brat Pack. Yeah, yeah. Saint Elmo's Fire. I don't want to look. I loved Demi Moore, so yeah, I don't want anybody to shit. think that I'm talking shit. She just would not be right for this part. No, I agree. Also, I can't picture her as a blonde. Then, of course, being a Verhoeven. Oh, it would have been girl, so. You, so she terrible. has to have been a blonde. But yeah. where where is the counterpart? The brunette counterpart who's a bitch or crazy. Well, there's a few of them in there. <laughs> well, there's oh, that's no, true. There, there's a brunette lobotomized chick. Well, and then, and then the Martin's original squeeze, the pregnant, yes. the pregnant S- Celine mead maid, Celine. Yeah, I, yeah. I love her. She, she just plays oh, crazy from yes, beginning to which end. Which was uh, we she looks point familiar. Out. Who is no, that? Susan Terrell. Oh, from House uh, Terrell. Well known. Yeah, <laughs> well known character actress. Um, a lot of you will recognize her from Forbidden Zone. Oh, right, right. Which I've never uh, seen. She was so also in. She's in a couple of John Waters movies. Oh, really? She was in. Well, I know she was in uh, Crybaby. Oh, that, yes, that makes sense. And she looks. She's been in a bunch of other stuff. I've I've seen her in. Yeah, she's she's very recognizable. And I recognize the other bru- the brunette, dark brunette with the accent. The who's the mother? No, the mother. Oh. The other one. She looks familiar too. The mother, I don't know. The mother's a Dutch actress. Okay. She was uh, apparently it was it was hell on set, um, and uh, so this is Kitty Corbra who plays the mother of the, the little boy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, she was she eventually got word back from Holland where they were watching the rushes, and it just basically said like stop having stop letting people let me rephrase that uh, stop letting people push you out of frame. So basically, because she, she also said in an interview, like, the American actors were terrible, and whenever the director would yell action, they would just push everybody else out of frame. What? Yeah. So then she started to push back. And I kind of, like, I think it adds, because it was such a ragtag You're the group. rowdy band of exactly, misfits. Exactly, yeah. It works. And Verhoeven also said that they were, like, a horrible class, and he was, like, the teacher, and one of them would start complaining, and all of them would start complaining. He's like, it was That's what it looked like, hell. but I think that yeah. works for who they exactly, were. Exactly, but it was probably horrible to be there. It's an extremely rough and tumble bunch. It is a rough <laughs> and tumble bunch. Well, I was actually, been, I've been thinking about this. The fact that it's called Flesh and Blood, because it's not, like... That's not an obvious title for this movie. Not the original title for the what movie. What was either. the original title for the God's movie? God's Own Butcher. <laughs> well, that doesn't really help either, except for the fact that a dog gets butchered up. That's true. But I guess I was thinking about it. You could think about it and that they're all flawed characters. They're all flesh and blood and that the flesh That's is so true. attacked throughout the movie, either via sexual or murdered or the plague. Like, it's all, they're just flesh and blood. I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting title. Well, the whole movie is, like, riddled with symbolism. But doesn't it have, like, a large, it has, like, a subtitle I, I saw on Can I Stream It? Like, it's like the story of the... It's got some extra sub subheading to it in some... Yeah. Um, 
Hmm. Also known as the Rose and the Sword on early VHS releases. Yeah, the Rose Wait, and the Sword. Wait, what? Sword, which makes even less... Because that makes me think that's of, like, the that's Slipper like and the Rose. Yeah, that's a fantastical... Uh, or In the Name of the Rose. Do you think uh, they tried to maybe, like, fake people out thinking they were renting a I, movie with Matthew Broderick and Sean Connery? Also I think they tried period? to... Christian Slater. Christian Slater. I'm getting Matthew Roderick, of course, con- uh, confused, confused with, with Lady, Lady Hawk. Hawk. <laughs> Philip <laughs> the Mouse, or Philippe the Mouse. I think they tried to fake people out a lot when they were trying to sell this movie. Because but that's the like, whole thing about the 80s. Like They always make the, the lower budget, not that this was low budget. Yeah, this was... Uh, Seven and a half million? Six and a half million. The sword it and only, the rose. It only made about a hundred grand in the U.S. So but it's also, it's like 85. Flop. It doesn't... If you see it, if you look at all the movies that came out then, especially, it's all like medieval fantasy or fantasy yeah. this. Oh, I way more the classic adventures than this. This is very this much is... ahead of its time yeah. because there's no... Res- it's Game of Thrones before Game of yeah. Thrones. Yeah, there's no That's resolution true. to the story. Right. There's, you're constantly shifting in who you're rooting for because people switch between bad and good and not in a soap operatic way. Yeah. I think no. in a believable way. Yeah. Um, and so it's like... And also this, because the, the plot is really simple... It's yes. not about plot, and so it's like it's very interesting. I, I, I was watching that, thinking to myself, "There's no way a studio would make a movie like that." This, like a, a Hollywood studio, a yeah. TV. I could see this being on TV. Yeah, nowadays. Nowadays it would. Yeah. Huh. Or would. or a super indie type. Of, but even like um, the Black Death was that what that was called? The one with Eddie oh, Redmayne. Yeah, and, uh, but that had a much more yeah. clear cut. Like it was obvious what the dire- the the yeah. film was trying to say. Whereas in this, I think it was saying a lot. Uh, and various different things. Like. No, and going back to what you were saying about Christianity as well, which is something mm-hmm. that Paul Vuvu would love to kick against in general. Uh, it, the whole thing is like filled with religious metaphors and, and symbolisms as well. Well, uh, my favorite is, shot, of course, is when the the car is he a cardinal? Because he's all in red before they all start to wear yeah. red. Whatever he is, the priest who is in their yeah. merry band. When he says to God, "Give me," oh, says, "Give me a sign whether I'm following you or just a crazy or man, a man, essentially." Who... And he looks up and he sees Martin with the the wheel behind On his fire. head, like the halo, yeah, with a sword <laughs> in the same position as the statue. And I was like, "That's just a brilliant shot." Um, but there's so much other. Yeah, I mean, also the the eating of the. I think that's my favorite scene: the eating of the mandrake root. Because first of all, it's a super sweet romantic scene. Right under hanging rotten corpses, which I think is already beautiful, but it's it's also the girl seducing the guy the way Adam seduced Eve. But then there's mm-hmm. a whole other thing going on of like he starts to fall for her because she references books and she's smart mm-hmm. and she reads. So it's like also the wisdom that's in there. Well, it's, it's interesting genius. to me too because I think the movie, especially what you were saying about him hating fan like the fantasy of the time and like the way the Middle Ages was depicted, the entire the movie is very subversive. Yes, yeah. it is. Because, as you say, with that love scene in particular, like it's in an, any other movie, you'd have the swelling music, which yeah. is in this movie and beautifully done Great. by Basil Caladorius. Yeah. May he rest Score. in peace. But like, it's this be- like what would be a tender moment, like the meet cute of them finally falling for each mm-hmm. other. But there's two hanging corpses, that and they're beautifully talk- shot, and they're talking yeah. about the, the the aphrodisiac is created from a corpses come watering the earth and creating this magical thing that makes people fall in love. Right. And then they have this beautiful wide shot where they're kissing, but, no, exactly. but you, you there's start rotting corpses. Like, we should have a bite, and it's all like super tender, well, and genius. then you go wide, and it's like, ah, yeah. That's why Paul Verhoeven's a genius, because yeah. he works in satire in ways that nobody else no can. one knows. Yeah. I mean, this was a little more obvious, I think, but I think 
you could even, if you took it at face value, you wouldn't realize, like, oh, he's undermining even the romance of, like, the Arthurian yep. kind of mid- Middle Ages thing, you know? No, the same with when uh, Martin tries to choke her with the, the bed sheet, which oh, is kind of a veil. veil. Exactly. So it's kind of like the virginal, but also the wedding, and also getting trapped in a marriage. And There's so much going on in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Also, we haven't discussed, this is a little bit of a lighter note, Rutger Howard looks like a pirate for a good third of the movie. <laughs> yeah. He's got a pirate earring, he's got like a leather like thing. Well, Hawkwood has a turban. Oh my god, his <laughs> character turban. If this was Soakdish, someone would be, he'd be yelling about how he looks like a fucking Tweety Bird. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think any of us are qualified to speak on the historical accuracy of this movie. However... They might have. I feel like they might have hedged their bets a little bit because there's the title card at the beginning just says that it's set in Western, Western Europe. Europe, but it's clearly Italy, Spain, Spain. But are, but the the this Lord. A, well, the, um, do uh, yeah, they say they never say it's Spain? But his no. name is Arnolfini. That's Italy that's to me. Italian. That's true. Yeah. So it's but it's like pan Western Europe. Well, Hawkwood is a very uh, British. It's <laughs> a name that I don't Steven. know where that came from. Yes, Stephen. Well, but St. Stephen, so that... Martin. Uh, But also, I love how specific he then is with the time. It's 1501. Yeah, 01. But then again, so the Middle Ages... It's the end of... It's the beginning of the Renaissance. It's the Renaissance, because... Yeah, it's the last few years of the Middle Ages, but that's also... You have Rutger Hauer is the Middle Ages, and Stephen is the Renaissance. Is the Renaissance, and and they're coming into contact, but they each take a bit... Because one wants to be the... Like, because Martin wants to be... The like learned he lord. He wants to be a lord. And he wants to eat a knife least. and fork. Yeah, he, because when they because he's kind of he kind of starts to play act at it as soon as he gains a little bit bit of success. Yeah, in uh, you know when he puts on the lord's clothes and they eat the lord's food and you know oh. eat it with utensils. Well, yes, after after they take the castle, after they've kidnapped Stephen's bride, <laughs> they take a castle, and then they become like the new lords and ladies of the castle. Mm-hmm. My, my capsule um, uh, description did not. Encompass, encompass this plot point. <laughs> we I think don't it's hold a, it against you. I don't know, I think it's important for a listener, perhaps, who hasn't seen the movie, to know what's actually happening. <laughs> and they go and they eat all the food and they, they save some of the servants and have them cook. And then uh, Steve, like they, shortly after they've kidnapped Agnes, um, the uh, clothes they have stolen from uh, the Arnolfini clan are all red and they decide they're going to be red. And when they st- sack the castle, they're like demons coming out of the chimney, which I thought yes. was like a devil coming out of a chimney, which yeah. was beautiful, especially with middle-aged superstition hadn't quite gone away yet by the time of 1501 specifically and then after they're in the castle martin and agnes are in all white and like this is a big issue for the like ragtag band they're like oh who are you now in all white who are you yeah because initially they had decided to wear red and that's when i kind of start to like like martin because like he he does they are screwed over in the beginning by arnolfini by saying after they've taken this other city that they can loot it and then arnolfini no and he loses his child he loses his child and it's sad but then he rapes agnes and but then he tries to also for being raped by anyone else exactly but which is what she wants though she wants to be saved by him well, I think because that's what she whispers to him, right? Yeah, like, let it be don't just let you. it be yeah. just you, which is her manipulating anyhow. Absolutely, yeah. Which is no, like, she even cuddles up. Like in the end, she cuddles up to that other guy who I don't know how he died, but the one who wants to sleep with her constantly the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And then she starts. Oh, he gets so stabbed with the rocket. Stephen's oh, yeah, rocket he did. spear. Oh, that was fantastic. Which is brilliant. Uh, but yeah, I, it's implied this that she good, sleeps with him as well. With some good kills. Oh, it's well, great. that's the thing. Paul Verhoeven can... He doesn't shy away from anything. He can raise great questions no. while also pleasing all the visceral, <laughs> the, the, the earthly senses. Yeah, he gives he you sex scenes. He gives you But he, he also said, like, 
if he depicts rape, he wants it to be brutal and horrible because that's what it is. Instead yeah. of kind of cutting away from it. Uh, and that's especially, true. it is it's an awful scene. Because it's funny, like... Um, oh, where, where they're getting, when they're raped? Where she gets raped, yeah. Because it takes a village to rape a woman, apparently, yeah. in this movie. <laughs> because they, he's like, move her, like, they, yeah, they hoist her up. He has his gang help him rape her, yeah. basically. Even though he's the only one raping her, like, they're basically, like, forcing her onto his dick. <laughs> Which then she turns around. Yeah. When she, like, reverse rapes him. And, you know, like, other Verhoeven movies, like, um, as funny... As Showgirls is like the rape scene in that movie is that just is, like brutal. Well, that, that's the yeah. thing about that movie. Like whenever you're watching, it's like oh haha, this is ridiculous. And then that rape happens, and no one's laughing like, during that Ugh. part. <laughs> and then in the like when she stumbles out with the blood down yeah. her um, down her legs, it's like that. That part's like genuinely like disturbing, yeah. which I yeah. think would be the only part of that movie that. Um, which you, steals the laughter from one's lips. You raise yeah. another good point. Uh, that Pavlov is really good at water sex scenes. Oh my god! Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a bathtub it's sex a, scene. In it's this a movie. proto um, showgirl flapping <laughs> like a tuna pool scene. I could never look at Kyle MacLachlan the same way. Ever oh, again. why I've would you want that. to? I have so much more respect for him now. <laughs> Dale Cooper, when 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 it comes back to Showtime, when Twin Peaks comes back, you won't be able to. Look at him the same way. No. He's got the best haircut in Showgirls. Is it so bad? Got that floppy hair. Are those neon palm trees? <laughs> He's a classy fucking guy in oh, that movie. Yeah. He teaches her how to say Versace. Yeah, Versace. Well, <laughs> in this in this film, when they take the castle, they take a, a bath in the medieval in the Renaissance hot tub. In a giant yeah. tub. And she kind of flops on top of him, and they. Yeah, she rides up. him. She learns fast. That girl. She goes from virgin to sixty in like. Well, she's a smart. Hot second, clearly she's yeah. smart. Yeah, she is. She steals books from nuns and learns about mandrake roots and. Well, her maid really likes to fuck, so she just learned everything from her maid and then applied it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there what else? What, what other hot points are there to cover on Flesh and Blood? <laughs> what was your favorite scene, Darren? My favorite scene. I mean, my favorite scene has got has got to be just that one shot where he, the cardinal looks up and sees the burning wheel. Martin with the wheel—that's just brilliant. And I, I also, I, I thought that's hard to say. I thought the the whole end sequence was pretty well done because it's shifting in. I don't know the the dog. The dog. The dog. Yeah. When when Hawkwood is catapulting diseased dog flesh. <laughs> I think that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. It is pretty brilliant. And I also just loves that they, love that they went there. Because that, that is not something you will see in a lot of movies. Even in, like, brutal, like, Game of Thrones stuff. You don't... You don't I, yeah. I haven't seen that quite They... Yet. Generally, people shy away from animal death. Torturing. Yeah. And th- I in mean, fact, this... to the point where there is actually... Actually, I think there's a site called Does the Dog Die? <laughs> and it's, like, trigger warnings for, like... You know, if you if you can't handle seeing animal death on the screen, it'll warn you. That's that's what about it, movies. Well, spoiler. I, yeah, I didn't see Mad Max for the longest time because of that. Really? Yeah. Well, don't see Turner and Hooch, and don't see Lethal Weapon Two. I saw, I Turner, saw Turner, Turner and Hooch a bunch of times. Cried. In it's a sad movie. Yeah, stay away from Old Yeller. <laughs> oh my god! Well, yeah. Um, well, what's really crazy is not only does this dog you see it licking up 
diseased blood, and then a couple scenes later, you see it covered in like plague, boob, you know, bob, you know, lesions and stuff. They kill the dog, chop it up. You see the bits going out, which they're constantly brandishing around for a while. You see its hindquarters go in a fire. You see its head, its skull <laughs> in a fire. I mean, this dog isn't just killed; it is dismembered, it is burnt, it is catapulted. Well, also, the first few times you see the meat, it looks like like prime beef. Like it, it does. Look, I thought it was prime yeah. beef when it landed on there. I was like, ooh, delicious. I was like, why are they throwing? Steak? At them. Like they did a good job butchering that dog. <laughs> I feel like there was more story. Like I want to know more about what happened. Like there could have been a sequel with Hawkwind and his and his bride. His, well, had it not flopped, his, there could also, have been a lot of. Uh, she wasn't. She was a nun, so she obviously gave up her her. No, she was raised by nuns. I thought she because I thought just she was like Mary, in a, Queen of Scots. Mm, well, the, what happened there? <laughs> that was the thing that they that they did. They would you know they would put girls in the convents because it was a way yeah. to keep them chaste. Well, and Agnes safe. was raised in a convent. Yes. My grandmother went to a convent school. She wasn't a nun. She's Jewish. <laughs> but she went to a convent school. Well, that's, that was the thing to do in, like, 1940. Oh. Huh. They would, when educated. they punished her, they would put her in an attic with bats. Jesus. Yeah. Well, that's, that's convent school and, for you. And the, and the bats would be like, we're very disappointed in like, you. Oh, we're not mad. <laughs> oh, it's a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> no, the bats didn't say that. Ethan, what's your favorite scene? The oh, the eating of the mandrake root. Yes. Oh, for sure. yeah. I I forgot about. We just talked about it, and I forgot about that scene. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I think, I don't know. I I really just love all the scenes with Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. I think it's hard to pick a favorite, at least for me, because it's such a weird. It doesn't follow traditional construction, really. Yeah. So it takes a while for it really to get going as mm-hmm. to what's actually happening, and it, in the, especially in that first act, it really keeps you guessing as to what's it going to be. And then by the second act, it takes on a whole other tone, and I think the third, it's just constantly shifting, and it plays out in a way that's just not. It's not plot oriented really no, it's, it's not. and it's not it's it's i really feel like every scene is built to like decon- it's like it's a very it's a you know in a movie. way mm-hmm. as mccabe and miss miller is a deconstruction of the western mm-hmm. i this is a deconstruction of medieval like whole heart like completely from character and it's it feels like a 70s movie in the way yeah. it's developed and and which makes sense because the 70s was just ripping off european filmmaking and so here comes a, a euro guy to say like well, this a, is yeah, how we do it it's a production Sure. Yeah, so this was his uh, way Spain, to. Uh, yeah, Holland, exactly. Yeah. Australia gave money. I but think that's the people who wrote it, though. They gave money to Dutch. Actor. Both Dutch. So it's, I mean, uh, it's d- Dutch. I think they might have been rewrites of other, but I think it's mostly well, Dutch. Dutch written. Because it, it was a story he already had with someone else. And then uh, Ryan wanted to make a movie with him. Mm. He's like, oh, we still got this thing. Mm. But then it was set in Holland. Um, and they put it to Spain to give it a more European appeal. But this was also the last European movie he did. Because he wanted to technically stay in Holland, but well, he was having problems with the production L. fund. Yeah, that's true. That's a and recurring Black theme. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. We talk a oh, lot uh, about the problems of financing films in Holland. Exactly. On this podcast. <laughs> uh, but well. then he eventually, after he, like, this was his dream of like, great, I get American money and I can shoot big movies here. And then it was a disaster. He's like, I'm not going to do this anymore. So this is the last thing he did. And then he got on a plane and left for the U.S. And then all of Holland was like, he'll be back in a year. Yeah, flash forward. Like yeah, exactly. Thirty years later, I guess he's back. So, but the, L was obviously French money. Yeah, that was not not a and not, black, not book, black book. Black book was, was Dutch. Dutch. Yeah, black book was and great. I did something else. Uh, I really like black book. Yeah, then, I did too. But yeah, he also he won in Holland. He won the Dutch Oscars called the Golden Calves. Uh, he won the best directing and best movie. And it's a judge uh, of seven people, the jury. And before this came out, some of them already said like, I don't agree with this. This was not unanimous. 
So the judges actually spoke out against for it. flesh and blood. Yeah, I uh, not yeah. flesh and blood. Oh, for no, this. For, yeah, oh, okay. for flesh yeah. and blood. Well, wow. the next thing he did was RoboCop. Yes. So he landed on his feet. But again, another subversive movie of like science fiction and and like. Well, mi- all of it. I mean, Starship yeah. Trooper is also putting the entire genre on its head. Yeah. 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 Which is but, what makes him so great. Yeah. We love Paul Verhoeven. We do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, cinematography by Young, Young the Bones. Oh, yes. <laughs> Who went on to a less successful directing career. But, but illustrious well, in his own know, way. Twister, uh, Twister and Speed, they're pretty... Uh, well, I guess... Kind of went downhill after that, but he, he's done some good <laughs> movies. Well, hopefully he saved his pennies from, from those, so... Oh, I didn't realize Jan Dumont was married to Monique Van de Ven. He used to be, yeah. Oh, interesting. Anyway, not Monique, not Monique Van Voren. No. Uh, no, I think they met on the Paul Verhoeven movies because she mm. was his. Uh, what oh, else? Was his, didn't he shoot so a romantic? Bu- didn't he shoot a bunch of his other movies though? Yeah, yeah, he did Basic Instinct. Um, well, he shot Turkish Delight. Soldier Forms? No, Turkish Delight is uh, not about, like, specifically how the Turkish Delight in Narnia no. got into Edmund's mouth. No, no, Isn't maybe that... a little bit. <laughs> maybe a little, just <laughs> in, in th- thematically. In the inside, no, it's Turkish not at all. Delight. Isn't that, that the, like, the highest grossing, like, Dutch movie? Yes. Still? What's, what's, what's that one about? Uh, it's Rutger Hauer and Monique van der Ven, uh, and it's basically about their relationship uh, in the 60s in Amsterdam, without trying to give too much away. Oh, because I'm going to see it. You should see it, Well, I would it, yeah. like to see it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, what's what What else is on our agenda to talk, to discuss about this beautiful film? Well, we we obviously liked the movie. <laughs> yes. Um, you can get it on... You rented it off of uh, iTunes, I got it on right? iTunes, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is available on uh, DVD. I don't know if it's out on Blu-ray. It is on It has a fantastic poster on Blu-ray. Oh, it oh, is really? out on Blu-ray. Yeah, that's where she's kind of like the angelic oh, one, the and the, angelic yeah, one. it's a good poster. Yeah. Well, so. it's it's weird because like when I was when we first started, I was like, mm, I wasn't as into it, and as it went along, and I kind of got once that Mandrake, I think it was when the Mandrake scene <laughs> came in. I think that's when I changed my mind because like, okay, I can go with this, but it's definitely not. It's not a mass appeal for many reasons, but like I just think it's it's a difficult. It's very hard to root for anybody, and I think that makes it a, what's, yeah. what's, what's, what I like so much about it. Yeah, I feel like it um, probably would find a more receptive audience now. Well, oh, it became sure. it became a cult movie. Yeah, and I can see why. But it's not a big mass movie. But it's very interesting in comparison to other movies of the time. Like I, for a while, I wanted to do kind of a double feature episode where we would talk about this and then um, Sword and the Sorcerer. Hmm. Which is uh, that's so different. Yes, which is a a kind a kind of terrible medieval fantasy movie, where which does have um, adult elements to it. Yeah, that's true. But like in a more like there is there is rape in that movie, but it's 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 handled really poorly. Is the sword and the sorcerer the one with like the gauntlet sword? Yes. And there's that beautiful line: "Dates, no beef." Yes. <laughs> that is so. I haven't seen that since because 1998. It's um, they actually did a riff tracks of it because it's so. Well, bad. Of course they did. And Richard Mall plays the demon. They did multiples of those. Yeah, there's yeah. a sequel to yeah. Sword and the Sorcerer, right? Yeah, which apparently, which my friend told me is one of the worst movies she's ever seen in her whole life. I mean, I almost feel like Sword I think and it has Kevin Sorbo. Oh my god, really? Yes. I feel like Sword and the Sorcerer fits 
though it's not a barbarian movie, it right. fits closer in the genre tropes of the sword and sandal barbarian yes, kind of thing. Yes, it does, because yeah, but it's, it's, also like, had... it's like lusty men and breasts, you yeah. know, that kind but of But it thing. is kind of that 80s, like that Kroll is one of them. Yes. And like, well, Beastmaster's a little later, but it, it's kind of that fantastical, you don't quite know when like it is. What it's time like, period yeah, sort or of what middle, it is. Exactly. Yeah. Having... It borrows from the Middle Ages, it yeah. borrows from barbarians. Yeah. Oh, Kroll. Kroll's great. Oh, uh, Kull. No, Kull no, the Conqueror. It is Kroll. I love Kroll. Is it the Glavius? Is that yeah, that yeah, like yeah, thing? Yeah. Oh. Well, they all have a, a weapon. There's a Cyclops. Like, all these movies, there's, there's like laser specific beams. weapon. Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah, they all have weapon. the weapon. That's yeah. true, the gimmick weapon. Yeah, and, you know, and then you have, like, nicer movies like Lady Hawker Legend, which are, let's, yes. let's say, more family-friendly. Because also Excalibur is a really weird one as well, because that's oh, also dark. Ex- well, Excalibur is interesting how well, that Excalibur's came about. Excalibur is pretty adult, too. Because yeah. Borman was wanting to do Lord of the Rings, and it, it didn't happen. So they used all the designs, oh. and they did it. So it would be interesting to have seen his version. I think it would have been a lot different to the Peter Jackson Oh, I'm one. sure it would have had a lot of unmotivated green lighting. Yeah. But ex- Excalibur is... <laughs> but would it have had Helen Mirren's boobs? No. Excalibur's weird. I love it's Excalibur. Really I love it. But it kind of feels like it's supposed to be in that genre, but it isn't because it's really well, weird. That part with the tree where they're all hanging on the tree, and, yeah. then, and then young Mordred is. Ooh. <laughs> mother, mother. <laughs> but that like gold Grecian armor, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I just rewatched Zardoz the other day, by the way. Or tried to. I can only get like about three well, quarters of the way through before I get bored. Zardoz has like a gangbusters opening. Yeah, Gangbusters opening, great. No, I was riveted, and, and then the my last fifteen minutes just, are great. But the middle know. section of that movie, like in the tabernacle and all that stuff, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. But you know, Borman, Borman's done. Borman's films. a fascinating. I've actually never seen Deliverance. Sorry, podcast listeners. <gasps> oh my god, I haven't either. Oh well, really? You should watch it. I, I can't imagine why I haven't seen it, but I don't know why. It's like it's just sometimes I have a classic here and a classic there. Yeah, you know, seen. everybody has their gaps like Better the Off list. Dead. I've never seen. There's my '80s movie that Sound I haven't of music. seen. Sound of Music. There's my '60s movies I've never seen. <laughs> but yeah, Better. like um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like um, Flesh and Blood is def- definitely in good contrast to kind of. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It's the, count, the counter of everything that was going on. And it's way before Dragon Slayer. Yes, that it's was another... another well, uh, yep. uh, Hawk I, the Slayer. I a saw favorite of mine. half of a double feature. You saw the full double feature <laughs> of Lady Hawk and Dragon Slayer. Yep. Uh, but they're very different. I mean, there's the they fantastical... Are, but it, it is, yeah, it's that fantastical element, and you can go there with the whole family. It's, it's like the pre-Willows. Like, it's that... Uh, <laughs> yeah, the pre-Willow, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, like, kind of, we don't really have the budget to do this yeah. f- medieval. It's interesting <laughs> that, that Legend's like, definitely in that as well. Yeah. Legend, le- talk about weird movies. Oof. Legend's a little bit of a slog. It is. Well, the director's cut's, like, I think even worse. Is you, it? T- you take away the Tangerine Dream score, which is yeah. usually the best part of any movie they, they do. Like, Lady Hawk, the best part, <laughs> are those weird so zooms good. to the hawk with the Tangerine Dream music. Yes. Well, and also Matthew Broderick's voiceover, him because that was such a hit in Ferris Bueller. Let's put it in this <laughs> Lady movie Hawk is as not, well. It's not a good movie. <laughs> I um, love Lady Hawk. I, uh, that said, I do love it as well. Um, and then it's uh, cute. what were we talking about? We we're talking about Tangerine Dream. Oh, Legend. And then like it adds this like Mia, Mia, Sarah singing. Speaking of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, well, um, Legend. Um, I think originally had uh, a Jerry Goldsmith score. In the director's cut, they bring it back. Yes, um, and it's uh, it had a great. It has a great um, credits song by mm-hmm. Brian Ferry featuring mm-hmm. David Gilmore. It's true. Is your love strong enough? 
Uh, and then it's just, I think the best part, though, of, of Legend is Tim Curry. I mean, I don't think oh, anybody, well, no, no one disagrees so with that. Disputes that. No one disputes so, that. His, his, I do oh. really like that weird dubbed over fawn. Jack. Oh, God. Come, Jack. That. And what's what is Ridley Scott's thing with unicorns? Like that whole unicorn the thing only, in Blade Runner. Well, that's from Legend. I know they took that's the footage from exactly. Legend and put it in. But like, what is this fucking thing with unicorns? I think Ridley Scott almost loves unicorns more than I do. Is it his subtle way of saying that he's really gay? Like the unit cut off the horn, cut off his masculinity. Oh, he's afraid of castration. Man, it's a castration fear. There we go. We've, we've done we it. We figured you out. We know, like, we know what your deal is because look how into like, also he's so afraid of like vaginal things like impreg- pre- getting impregnated via like aliens. Mm, that's so, true. But that's also the, the masculine yeah. impregnation into the feminine mouth. Which is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My, our Freudian... Uh, tying it back to Starship Troopers. Oh, that's the, the masculine, vagina mouth Yeah, slug. that has a penis that goes into your head. Oh, Starship Troopers. What a movie. That movie's the best. It's really great. And also, you know what? It does have his curly hair. She's not as blonde no. as you would want Desi. Yep. Is the Dizzy. 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 Diz, yeah. Ugh. Now he Casper loves Van Dien is brilliant in that movie. <laughs> so is it's, it's I Denise mean, Richards' that whole movie. Yeah, what happened to that boy? Well, we, yeah. Eve and I had the pleasure of seeing a screening of Starship Troopers at the Arclight with... Uh, uh, Paul Verhoeven, the writer, I forget his name, sadly, Casper Van Dien, as it turned, and also as it turns out, in the audience was the girl who played Dizzy. Really? The woman, <laughs> I should say. And she came and joined them. And she looks just as good yeah, she as she did. She looks, same. 20 years have treated her well. And Casper Van Dien also looked good, too. I mean, he's, he did. looks pretty much the same. Um, and I usually hate QAs, but this one was fun. Oh, it was, it was, it was great. great. I'm glad somebody agrees with me about Q and A's. Oh, they're usually I usually so find them boring. incredibly tedious. Well, because it's mostly the audience's fault. Because what are you going to really ask? Yeah. Well, as a woman, <laughs> there's the as a woman, and which we got we in got, this Q and A. How do you do strong woman characters? Or like the worst is like, can you tell us a funny story from on set? Or or what was your budget? <laughs> Just it's called IMDb yeah, and exactly. Wikipedia. Plus like, the fact you're never going to get it, so it's fine. Or the best is like, oh, I've got the script. Remember when we saw the Tim Burton one, and Someone was like, I got this script. Like, I don't look at scripts. And then also they're like, you know, I know Joe Schumacher is doing a, a film version of, of Fantasy for the Opera, but would you consider doing it? And Tim Burton's response was, no, they're making a movie right now. Why would I consider making a movie that's being made right now? Uh-huh. Also, I don't, want to, I don't want Tim Burton touching A, anything anymore, yeah. or B, touching my beloved Phantom. It's been <laughs> despoiled enough. It's been raped as Agnes was raped by Martin. Yeah, no, <laughs> there's a great. I can't even write that metaphor. A great clip show of women claiming, uh, uh, like movies of where women claim they like the rape that they got, and I can think of three off the top of my head currently. List: Flesh, Flesh and Blood. Yes. Um, Fat Girl, where she gets raped in the oh, end and says really? she liked it, yeah. and then uh, Straw Dogs, that smile. Interesting. Oh, Not yeah. the remake of Straw Dogs. Well, the original remake. What? Uh, I would. I would add uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, that's tricky. I know. Yes, I, I would. I, I would agree, but we don't see it. No, that's true. Yeah. This is a little. Early and also, for... Marlon Brando doesn't rape; he makes love. It doesn't matter if it's... <laughs> as he made a love to us all with his many screen performances over his illustrious career. Wait, it started off steamy and sexy, and it got sloppier as it went on, but it got no less, <laughs> no less satisfying. But here, also, we're not sure if she actually likes it. 
No, I mean she's I, playing into it, but that doesn't necessarily. Sure, uh, but we're not sure, sure if Susan George liked her rape in. No, Star exactly. Dogs. They're they're all. Or if that girl yeah. truly liked getting raped by the axe murderer who killed her whole family. Spoiler alert: <laughs> that movie is not good. I walked out of that movie and then heard the ending and walked back in just to see it with my own eyes. That's I, an interesting movie. I did want to ask a question oh. of Ivka, who Uh-oh. came prepared, um, which I don't remember if you mentioned or not previously, but. The fact that this that Verhoeven said this was the unhappiest he'd ever mm. been on a set. <laughs> yes. Did he elaborate on that at all? Yeah. Apparently, this was his apocalypse. Now, like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. The Spanish people um, were supposed to give him another half million that never came through. He was supposed to get two hundred horses. He got fifteen ponies. Uh, so <laughs> well, like, that explains her tiny horse. Exactly. Yes. That's yes. What I, I, even, I commented on the. Uh, I mentioned. When Jennifer Jason Lee rides off with them at the end, I'm like, oh, they even gave her a tiny horse because she's so tiny. Yep, but I guess that nope, was what that's they had. That's all they got. <laughs> and then he said, like, the actors were, were terrible and he couldn't really work with them. The fights with Rutger Hauer. Uh, so all of that. And also, he, he's he been wanting to do, like, uh, he's been wanting to do, like, a Crusades medieval movie since he was in film school. And he did Flores, which was a TV show, but that was much more like, like he's the good guy, knight, right. and he's saving. And that was also Rutger Hauer. Um, and then he was finally, he gets to do this, and it's also the first American project. So leading up to it, it sounds like terrific. And then apparently it was a nightmare on set. Uh, and it also, it, he still regrets that it wasn't the, the Martin Hawkwood story. Right. Like he kind of wanted to do a wild bunch. Right. Uh, and that never ended up happening. I feel like you need to write the Dutch equivalent of Hollywood Babylon by Kenneth Anger. You are the source <laughs> of all like the Dutch film industry gossip. Like the way it was talking was even well. I heard like a fifties <laughs> gossip columnist. <You're laughs> um, it's interesting. And flipping through, Ifka had had did come very prepared. She came prepared with a uh, biography of Paul Verhoeven in Dutch, which, which I thought yeah, was Italian. Is in in Dutch because I would highly recommend everybody reading. And that. then the Toshin Paul Verhoeven book, which looks great, but I flipped through it and casually saw that in one of the captions that uh, uh, Verhoeven believed that uh, uh, Rutger Hauer was his like Marcello Mastriani yeah. to as Fellini used him as a stand-in for himself. And he would use Rutger Hauer, so I'm sad to hear that they had but such a falling they, out. Yeah. But then they broke up. Yeah, yeah no, it is, I mean, it is What sad. did Rutger Hauer do since then? Deadlock, Hobo with a Shotgun, Blind Fury, <laughs> the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer. True and Blood. do I need to go on? <laughs> I love Rutger Hauer. I, I do, too. You know what? I remember in the Everyone's 90s. Everyone's saying loves Rutger Hauer. In, in the 90s when they were doing, like, Dream, if there was an X-Men movie casting, a lot of people were like, he'd be a great Magneto. Oh, he would be I still be think a he'd be a great Magneto. Magneto. Yeah. That is definitely he, true. Because I could believe that uh, Michael uh, Fassbender, growing older, would turn into a Rutger Hauer type. Yeah. They look a little yeah. similar, well, more st- so than Ian McKellen. I still think Roy Batty is one of the best villains. He's great. Ever. But he's not so much a villain because you understand his yeah. perspective. Well, that, well, that's what makes a great villain. Don't we all want more life, fucker? Uh, but tying back to the sad story of Paul Verhoeven in the medieval times, mm. he was very close to finally getting his Crusades movie made, and then uh, which Ridley was already Scott. Uh, no, it wasn't really oh. Scott. It was cast Jennifer um, Connelly. Yes, Jennifer Connelly was the the princess. John Turturro was in it. Arnold Schwarzenegger was John in Turturro. it. John <laughs> Turturro. Yeah, no, they had all the sets built. It started with um, a, a priest getting castrated because he'd raped a little boy and then his penis falls off and a dog grabs it and runs off with it. <laughs> like, that was the opening of it. And then the studio uh, went bankrupt and they had two movies in productions and they said we can only do one and the one they picked was Cutthroat Island. 
Oh. So that was the end of Paul Verhoeven's crusade. cutthroat their island. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, we were deprived uh, of a potential from what you just described masterpiece. That's, I know. That's I one know. of the saddest stories I've ever heard. Yep. Even even to people like him, it still happens. And he was big back then as well. I mean, he well, still you is, know, like, dire- like, directors like Kurosawa, like, struggle even at the end of a long, lustrous career. That's because yeah. he was to old. Get films made. I was but. reading all about that. That was, there was a whole, like, John Huston actually um, had to leave the studio system because he was too old and they thought he might die so no one would insure the, a multi-million dollar production. So he had to do oh, independently wow. finance. So that was yeah. the that was the attitude back in, like, the 70s and whatnot. Nowadays with people, directors working until their 80s, yeah. essentially working until they die. Yeah. Uh, it, that's kind of changed a bit, but, like... I think Ken Russell went through the same thing. Well, Ken he Russell... did a lot of self-financing and because his movies were insane you know well and so then he would he would like just make movies on video cameras at his estate <laughs> until he died i think when he died um he was about to be making an alice in wonderland musical which i think would have mm. been brilliant yeah my sources on the inside were telling me that bernard rose the director of Candyman, was taking it over but i haven't seen this movie oh man uh, well since. we gotta dig up bernard rose oh candy man is well you don't have to dig him up i've huh, i met him <laughs> oh, Maybe I could get him. Yeah. I, I could possibly. That'd be quite the game. My my, yeah. my person on the inside might still be on a four month honeymoon, so I have to wait till she comes back. But <laughs> I'll tell you the story off air. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you, Darren. Thank you, Ifka. Thank Anytime. you. Yeah, that was our flesh and blood discussion. You can get it on iTunes or DVD or Blu-ray. Watch the shit out of it. It's good. Yeah, it's, watch it. It's great. Now that I've had like an, an hour or so to process it, I like it even more. The, yeah. the more I think about it, the more I like it. Also because there's so much in it that you keep on going like, oh, wow, that was that. And that there's a lot to think about in that movie. It's not just a, a, a rape and pillage. Uh, yes. Although will, there is rape and pillage in it. Yes. <laughs> Be warned. But so once you've gotten off from that, take another look. <laughs> when yes. you calm down. <laughs> Seek it out. It will reward you. Mm-hmm.